I want to thank Research Consultants International for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion in projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about research consultants. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic development organizations. Call them now. They can help you create real prospects. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today our guest is Kurt Foreman. Kurt is the president and CEO of the Delaware Prosperity Partnership. Kurt's organization are one of the first members of our movement that we launched last week. So, Kurt, first of all, thank you for joining our movement and uh, welcome to our show. It's great to be with you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the model y'all use in Delaware. And I, I get your email, so I know you just landed a big Amazon deal. So I know it's having success. We are, we are, and it's uh, one of the latest experiments in sort of the public-private model. So our governor was approached by the business community when he was uh, coming into office, and he took the challenge on of seeing if they could do things a different way and ended up downsizing and changing the focus of the state agency and creating a private nonprofit to do attraction and other things for the state. So. We've been in business uh, almost three years, and I've been here a little over two. So we've built a team and lots of good things happening. I think we're getting good visibility, perhaps better than we may have in recent past. And we're getting our looks from from companies and site selectors and, and winning projects as well. So we're excited. I know you seem to really be making good progress in the manufacturing sector and the logistics sector. So why don't you talk about both of those? Sure, sure. So, you know, it really comes down to our location. So we're blessed. Most people have heard of Delaware. Not everyone knows where we are, but we're equidistant between New York and D.C. on the coast. 95 runs through a sliver of our state, but, you know, our, our proximity to a large, the, the biggest consumer market in the U.S., right in the smack middle of it, makes us, I think, attractive, particularly to logistics. We now have a third center for Amazon being built. In fact, their first distribution center in this part of the world was in Delaware. They added another one a few years later and now third. The new one's going to be almost 4 million square feet. So we're pretty excited about it. And the latest technology, lots of robots, lots of people. And as far as manufacturing goes, again, because of our proximity and to the customer, we're seeing a lot of interest among manufacturing, particularly small to medium-sized operations. I wouldn't say 
we have any really large ones, but 50 to 100. And a lot of those are really, I think, the future of how manufacturing is going to happen. It's not going to be you know, 5,000 people necessarily. And that works real well for the size of our communities and all that, that they can help work with that kind of company. But we're really excited about that. More than half our projects that we're working on at any given time are manufacturing related. Wow. Well, that's really our sweet spot. So small to mid-sized ones. So, uh, and I appreciate y'all for joining the movement. You're one of our first members in that. Appreciate that. I've actually toured the DuPont plant in Delaware. Okay. Now that's something there. I don't know. I don't know if most people have realized how big that is. They've got their own hotel and uh, own country yeah. club and in Mobile, they had a, I used to be in Mobile as a project manager and they had a large mm-hmm. facility there. And so for one of the expansions, they invited us up to compete for it. And it's like they got their own city there. You might talk a little they, bit about You know, that. at one time that was the case. I mean, they had 30,000 employees at one time in Delaware. We're less than a million people. So there are a lot of connections to almost every major institution in Delaware. We're in, a, we're in their old headquarters building where our offices are downtown Wilmington. But yeah, they still, are a major presence, but very different in today's world. But they've been here since 1802. So it's a great story of uh, innovation and progress. Yeah, that was probably 2005 when I, that's been 15 years ago when I did that. But it was just incredible to see, see what kind of an operation that they had. So I know about Wilmington. What are some of the other large cities in Delaware? Or are most of them the small to mid-sized towns? Well, Wilmington's our largest, which is about 72, 75,000 people. So we're, we're a state of small communities. Our largest jurisdiction would be Newcastle County, which is the northern part of the state, which is part of the Philly metro area. About 60% of our state population is in that one county. We only have three counties, so most people are usually shocked to hear that. Newark. Newark, Delaware is a famous community. That's where University of Delaware is. So most people have heard of Newark. They may not have pronounced it the way we do. And then obviously, we are famous for our beaches. So Rehoboth and Bethany and Dewey Beach, Lewis are world-class beach communities. And Dover, where the Dover Air Force Base is, which is our capital, is a great city as well. And then lots of really cool and and really uh, vibrant small towns that are all near each other, but make it a really beautiful place to live. Yeah, I know North Point's building something in Delaware. Is that right? What what are they doing? They are. They are. So they are building out a logistics park right along one of our main corridors, the Highway 1 corridor. And they just are in the finishing touches on almost a million square foot facility. Dark Container is going to be going into that facility. That's the maker of Solo Cup and all that. So they'll be distributing their products from that site. But they have room to build an, uh, another million and a half square feet on that site. And it's nice to have national developers looking at Delaware. They're out of Kansas City area as you know, and we're pleased to have them. And we hope they'll, they won't just do one project here, but maybe do other sites over time. And we also, you know, between the Dermody properties, which is building the Amazon project, there's quite a bit of construction activity happening in Delaware right now. Yeah, <clears throat> We've done a good bit of work in Kansas City. So when I saw North Point, that yeah. kind of surprised me to the good. So, so in Delaware, do most of your towns have economic developers or who do y'all partner with from the state on the local level? Because you only got three counties. Do you just partner right. with the county or how does that work? 
Well, each of the counties has an economic development team, and they're quite good. Then we have a number of our communities, depending on the size. Sometimes we work with the city manager. Sometimes we work with the planning director, who also does economic development. But a number of our communities have an economic development person on their staff. And we work with the utilities. We work with the university. Uh, like, like many parts of the country, we have quite a, a base. I would say we have 40 or 50 different partners. We also work in the innovation space. So we work on trying to help the ecosystem and cool tech companies get started here. And so we have a lot of specialty partners in that space as well. So you were actually the first CEO of the organization, right? Right. I was actually the first full-time employee. So I've hired a team of 13. Well, we have a team of 13 at the moment, and all of them I've hired, and only one of them had past economic development experience. So it's been fun to sort of introduce people to the concept of what we do, and people really enjoy it. And I've hired a group of people who are really passionate about the region and bring a lot to the table. So I've been really excited about that. I used to do that. I would hire people, you know, young up and coming, didn't know the business. And I actually found it made me better because I had to teach them how to do it. And so I couldn't, I couldn't cut corners, you know, on the RFP. I had to do it exactly right to show them how to do it. So I think there's a, I think there's a lot of value in that. What have you learned from starting one up? We've got a lot of listeners who may maybe just get into the profession and maybe they're starting up just a city, much less a state like you. No, absolutely. My, my favorite part of this work is, is building something and uh, not just driving the bus for the next 20 miles, but actually building something. So this is, uh, I've, I've done it in different variations, but starting literally from scratch, we had to create the culture. Thankfully, we had a really great group of business leaders engaged. Uh, I got to meet them as I came to interview. And, you know, I, I think what's been most exciting about it is how how excited the communities and the leadership is for for what we're trying to accomplish together. I've experienced a lot less drama here than anywhere else I've ever been. The, the turf issues are, are minor at best and people are really excited to uh, tell Delaware's story. Now, I know we wouldn't have turf, it, turf issues in Louisiana, so. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, no, I mean, sometimes. I mean, everywhere, everywhere has a little bit of that and that's, that's okay. Um, I, I expect that and, and that's not a problem. When you're starting something new, you want you don't want people sort of fighting against you, and, and we haven't had that. It's been really nice. Right. Well, I know you spent some time up in the Shreveport, Monroe area, and then up in Oklahoma, if I remember. So uh, Yes, and I was get... in Pittsburgh before that and D.C. before that, so I've been a rolling stone. I didn't know you were in Pittsburgh. Do you know Subash Alias? Uh, he, he followed me there. I worked with uh, a number of folks. I went there when Ronnie Bryant went there, oh, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah, Sue Bosch has become a good friend of ours. He runs a Missouri partnership. We got Absolutely, and, and their, their model and our model have some similarities. In okay. fact, our strategic consultant tip strategies use them and the North Carolina team and all as some of the examples of what we put together here. If you're like them, then, I mean, you get a lot done with a lean team. You know, a lot of state organizations are 300 employees. <laughs> the Missouri partnership's like 10. Sounds like yours is 13. We have so. 12 or 13, yeah. So, yeah, we have a couple strengths that we use. Um, I, I say that lovingly, but we have some global advisors that we work with part-time um, that do a great job of supplementing our team. But yeah, now we don't run the incentive programs and all, so we have the state team still does that. And I think that's appropriate 
because we're a private group, I don't think we should have control of that. You know, from a startup standpoint, getting out and telling the story and making sure people are hearing our voice is the most important part of it. So basically, you all do the lead generation, you do the marketing. And what about on the preparation side? Do you help the communities if they're saying, you know, wanting to develop property, you help with advise with that. So basically, you do everything but the incentives and you turn it over to the state. We actually will walk a client through that process and we'll advocate for them. And we go back and forth on, on those and deliver the offer from the state to the client, help them with their application. But yeah, on the local or county level, we are happy to be a resource to encouraging. I often joke that we're the concierge at the hotel who knows how to get tickets for something or do whatever. But yeah, we try to advocate and encourage and, and be supportive of ideas they have and help them get to the I think a lot of our initial effort has been building capacity, making sure that our communities can win a project when they get the opportunity to. We also advise the state on ideas that might make us more competitive. We work with our chambers and other groups on business advo- We We don't do the advocacy, but we do help share what's going on so that they can hopefully make really good decisions that help Delaware going forward. Well, I've got a question that I get asked probably once every three or four months, and I've never had the answer to. Why are so many companies Delaware companies? You know, the, like they, they form in Delaware. Is that a, is that, does that help your pitch? Well, we're glad they do. <laughs> Whether we know why, we do know why. But we, we, over the years, have developed some of the best business law in the world. We're known for our case law and the ability for companies to know what they're going to get. Our judges are not elected. They are um, selected based on their experience. They have to have experience in what they're doing, and that's led to a business-friendly environment. But the ability to, you know, to, to use that law, but it represents about 30% of our state funding, um, actually, Chad. Our state budget is funded by those fees that companies from all over the world, sometimes in hundreds, 200s, $300, but it adds up to like $1.3 billion of our state budget. Yeah. So it's just, it's just people want to have that surety and the, the, it's also allowed a professional services and legal services community to set up here that really brings a lot to bear for companies. Well, I remember I remember when we set up our LLC and then our lawyer said, hey, do you want to be a Delaware company or not? And I, and I didn't know what the difference was. And then I start seeing it everywhere and people ask me. So I knew, I knew there was something. Well, about 65% of the four, Fortune 500 are, are based here. That doesn't mean they're technically right. headquartered here, but they're registered here. And then obviously lots of LLCs and other things like that. Thank you, Kurt. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners and be right back with a lot more with Kurt Foreman after this. I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best buildings and sites database in the economic development industry. And now that coronavirus is hidden and everything's been disrupted, I've been thinking a lot about if I were an economic developer still, what would I do during this time? And I know without question. I would transition to Lois and get my buildings and sites as updated as I possibly could so that when we come out of this economic downturn, we're ready to go. Let me tell you why I like Lois. Uh, It is the most responsive, mobile-friendly buildings and sites database I have found. It's easy to use. It's just as easy to use on an iPad or iPhone as it is a computer. 
I was browsing around last week uh, on a, a state economic development building and site database, and the thing, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work properly. You had to be an engineer to figure it out. It was too much. It had this circle you could draw to look at buildings. The circle wouldn't work. When I backed out, it forgot what square footage I was looking for. None of that happens with Lois. This is the best buildings and sites database I have found. I've looked far and wide. It is the most easy to use from a site selection standpoint on any platform. I'm told it's just as easy to use for economic developers, that it really walks you through inserting your information and putting it in so that prospects can use it. So I really encourage you, take a look at location1.com. Use this time while we're down to update your buildings and sites. Transition them to location one. You'll be really happy you did. So obviously very business friendly, great location. Any other points for manufacturers? Because we do have a handful of them that listen to our podcast. What What's kind of your sales pitch to to manufacturers. We're also often ranked as one of the most cost-effective places to do business in not only in our region, but in the U.S. And from a tax standpoint, our, our tax structure is such we don't have sales tax, we don't have value-added tax, we don't have inventory tax. So, so there's a lot of flexibility. We're a single factor tax state now based on sales. And that means being a small state, most of your product is sold elsewhere. So your tax liabilities are going to be quite low. But, we're, you know, again, it's the logistics. It's we have a great and growing port and we have a workforce that's regularly viewed highly and a very active community college and technical college system that can help people get what they need when they need it. And it works well. And ag is our biggest sector. It's interesting. Most people assume the East Coast is very industrial and not agricultural, but our our actual biggest sector in our economy is ag and all the things that go around that, whether it's poultry, but all the supply chain around that. Yeah, I would not have guessed that. And if I remember, you all have pretty reasonable power rates. We had a project look up there at one time. It's been, may have been probably before you were there, but I remember your, your electric rates were also very competitive. We do. We have actually one of the, uh, I think, I'm, I'm biased, but I think we have one of the best electric co-ops in the country. And we also have good municipal and investor-led companies as well. But yeah, for, particularly for the region, our rates are quite, quite competitive. Well, let's sort of transition into your story, because a lot of economic developers are going to want to hear from a man who, who worked in Pittsburgh and Oklahoma City and now running the state of Delaware. So how'd you get into this field? Well, I actually got into it on purpose. So most people don't. I actually took a course in college many, many decades ago with a guy who had been an economic developer and he shared what he did for a living in the class. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And so I intentionally got into this work. Uh, I started out my career at the Fairfax County Economic Development Authority in Northern Virginia, one of the most successful groups ever in economic development history. I started out in research, which I think is a great place to start out. I was the, the young person that had to go find the answers for our sales team and track the real estate in the marketplace. Our database was a spreadsheet that was about as exotic as it got back then in the 80s. So I've done that. I've also been a site selector. I worked for Moran, Stahl & Boyer, which is really not a firm anymore. But back in the day, sort of Fantas and MS&B were sort of Coke and Pepsi. 
and I worked for them in New York and Atlanta and have been a single practitioner. I was in Oshkosh, Wisconsin at one time by myself as a one-person shop, but I've also run some of the larger regional groups in the country as well. So this is sort of my Delaware's a bit acts more like a region than a state just from its scale, but this is my fifth fifth time working in a more regional setting, which is I love. I love that sort of working with lots of partners and bringing people around the table. But I've always looked at the opportunity as the most important part, not where it was. My dad was a military chaplain, so I moved around a lot growing up, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, this brought us back to near my family. I grew up in this area of the country, not Delaware, but in this area. So I'm back home, sort of. We've had some great adventures and in beautiful communities, wonderful places that I never would have thought to live, but I'm proud that my kids got to grow up in Louisiana and part of the time in Oklahoma and both great places to raise a family. Well, uh, what sort of tips would you give folks if they're uh, maybe just getting into the profession like you, they're interested in it? What are your success habits, I guess, is what I would ask. What have you learned that you would tell other people, these are the two or three things you probably ought to be able to handle to do this? Well, one of the things I tell people when I interview them, if they're interested in this field, is if you're a person who likes to go from point A to point B on the most direct and most uninterrupted path, uh, and you get frustrated if that's not the case, you you won't like this work. That doesn't mean I like bureaucracy, but occasionally and often, or often depending on the situation, you have to pause and bring someone along, update them, get them to come along with you, and you need to be able to do that. I think the other thing that I, that I like to do is I've become a, uh, I'm a bit of a geek about board governance. Um, I, I really think how, how boards work and how an organization works is really important. That's probably dry for some people, but I really find that interesting. And I think it's important for you to know how a board works and to be, it's not, it's not like a company necessarily. So you have to be ready for that. The other thing I would say is that you, you should be open. Um, if you over plan your career, Uh, you're going to miss an opportunity you wouldn't have had an opportunity to do, whether it's a particular role or a particular place. And I had good mentors early on that said, you know, don't over plan because if you over plan, the next great thing is not going to happen for you. Mm -hmm. So um, I've always been open to that. And I think staying in touch with colleagues and building a network for yourself that you can call and talk to someone because you in your own community, you can't always talk honestly about something that's on your heart or your mind. Not that you're being disingenuous, but sometimes when you're struggling with something, you need to find someone who's outside that local circle who, who can listen and go, oh yeah, I've dealt with that, or, or yeah, I, I hear you, I understand what's going on, and that's helpful as well. That's why I'm active in IEDC, I'm active with a lot of other groups and enjoy my network of contacts. So I can call and also ask, uh, you know, what did you do in this situation and borrow a good idea? As one of my friends says, there, there are no more new ideas. It's just a matter of how you bring them together. Yeah, I think that's, those are the things that I would say to someone is, is be prepared to, to deal with those kinds of things. Well, I'm interested in your research background, too. I find that a lot of the big organizations, some of the ones that we have mentioned, they're, they're always very good at that. And I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to what to target and 
how to do it, what workers can transfer to that, what size water line do you need? I mean, I get into all of that kind of stuff. So then I find a lot of the smaller towns, you know, their person, maybe it's a one person shop and, you know, they're dealing with politics all day or existing industry and they don't have that research expertise. So talk about, I'm sure that now you, you because you, that's your background, I bet you've got a good researcher on your team. <laughs> they can do we're, what you we're want. We're very blessed. We're very blessed. I found a, a great research team and that was the thing I knew I needed the most for success. I'm really blessed with a great team overall, but the research team really, I think, sets can set the pace for everything. Uh, we also view our research as a shared resource. So if a community has a question or even a company has a question, we're happy to help them. So it's not just for us. It's for it's sort of a shared resource for others as well. And I think that's really important. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's helpful to, to know your targets. And we've also used consulting firms. Uh, we use tip strategies when we got the organization going, and they did a really good job of helping us set the pace uh, and what we were focused on. You know, you can you can win by winning hearts, and and I always tell our staff we're we're out to win their head and their heart, and that's important too. It's not just data. Uh, you want them to feel comfortable and feel like you're actually a tr can be a trusted partner to them. Uh, and I've I think we've won projects in places I've been, even if we quote weren't the best place because of the rapport and the relationship we developed. Sometimes your solution can win, even if it's technically not the one that meets the most criteria. But yeah, it's it's super important, and and being able to answer questions quickly and well, and not just hem and haw, is super important. Well, and nowadays we can do so much. I mean, I, you probably remember getting the sites and having to go in the boardroom and roll out the big maps on the, on the boardroom table. I used to draw. I used to draw. I used to take clear plastic and put it over maps and draw with grease pens sometimes oh, before yeah. a meeting. And then we could use it again. But uh, And when I was a site selector, we used to do commute patterns on maps, real maps, and we would draw it out. Yeah, it's just unbelievable how much that's changed. And it, it puts pressure on you, too, to respond quickly now because people, you don't have an excuse. Back then, you know, you might have a month to ship your FedEx or UPS package with all your maps in it. Well, and, we were the king of FedEx. We sent out, you know, we would send out dozens of FedEx a day when I was a consultant back in the day then. But, yeah, you're right. I think timing has changed and sort of collapsed the time frame. It used to take months. Now it might take days or weeks. And yeah, it's, it's, you have to be able to, to meet that. I think people that are in it now and didn't work in it before, you know, don't really realize that it used to take quite a while. And now they almost expect it to be a black box. And there are some solutions out there that make it seem very simple to just put in a few criteria and up pop your three communities. But obviously there's a lot. When people are involved, there's a lot of stuff behind it that's not just you know, the data on the page. Well, your advice to, to folks, you got your start, I think you said, in Fairfax County. I mean, for young up-and-comers, to me, the best thing you can do is get on with an organization that knows what it's doing, that you're going to see project activity and learn. Even if you don't make a lot of money, the two or three years you spend there will set you up. That's what happened to me in Mobile, Alabama. I was the bottom person on the totem pole, and every day we had a project, you know. And I just think back, that that's so much more valuable than if I had went and just, you know, been in the rural town as the number one person and seen two projects a year for like 20 years. You know, you just learn more getting in that deal flow, being around successful organizations. I, I viewed my time as a site selector the same way it gave me. I, I did that for a little over three years. And 
uh, it gave me a chance to do more projects in that period of time than I would have in a community. And uh, I went from a one-man shop to my next ED job was running a sizable regional group in the D.C. area after time as a consultant. So it really, it, I think that helped me as well. You know, that's something people might think about too is, you know, don't think you can only work on just one side of the table. You may spend time like you have now that you started your own firm, but working on different sides of the shop. I also was an executive recruiter for a while. I got out of economic development for about three years and I worked for the largest search firm in the world and did searches all over the country. And being an economic developer really helped me in that regard too. Yeah. Well, and you, you, you're exactly right. There's so much I've learned now sitting on this side of the table that I said, boy, I wish I'd known that when I was an economic developer. I'd, I would have been better. I would have done something better. Just what you say, a lot of our deals on the site selection side don't end up going to the place with the cheapest cost. Mm -hmm. Usually, you know, we do pro formas on like all our top 10 sites. Usually it goes to the place with top three or four, mm -hmm. but, but once you get down to that level, then it's more they're going where they want to be. And, you know, they figure, well, you know, what differences, is there a big difference in one and two? Maybe not. So I think that's great advice that I really never understood. I always knew how to go recruit and market, but I never understood really how, what, what you were trying to accomplish when you were dealing mm -hmm. with, the, mm -hmm. uh, with the prospects. Well, Kurt, thank you for being with us. Is there anything that uh, I didn't Absolutely. ask you that you'd like to like to share with our audience about your story or Delaware either one? <clears throat> no, I, you know, I hope that people that, you know, I, I felt really blessed to be an economic developer. I can't imagine now having done really anything else. It's such a, uh, an interesting kind of work and, and the ability to do something different almost every day. The last 12 or so weeks of sitting in my house have been the most strange of all of my career, but we had a site visit this week. So we had site selectors and a company in town this week because the first time I had had a face-to-face -face meeting in a while, but we, uh, we were excited in our activity, which has surprised me a little bit. Our activity has remained pretty strong. I will ask you that before we leave. You've been around a long time doing this. What changes do you think might come because of COVID? Do you think this is all temporary or you think a year from now there'll be still more virtual site meetings and more Zooms? And I got people saying that we can do all our executive search work now by Zoom. I'm used to flying into the town and interviewing the people. And I don't know if they're right or not. So what would your opinion be? Well, I, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think there's a strong possibility that the technologies that are out there. I mean, I don't remember using Zoom maybe but once before all this happened. And now I do three or four of these a day, depending on what the audience is. But I think that it's very likely that you can get a lot of the pre-work done this way. Mm -hmm. Even when I was an executive recruiter almost 20 years ago, we did video conferencing. We would send them to a place. They would dial in. It was very expensive. But to do your first pass and talk to someone and get a sense, I think you can do that. I think there's no question you have to be on the ground for the last part of the process. You can't buy, I mean, yes, I know you can buy a house online, you can buy a car online, but at some point you need to be part of it and see it. So I think that will continue. As far as activity, we're see, you know, I think supply, the, the big thing we focus on and are talking a lot about is supply chain and how that's gonna change. I don't know that it's going to all reshore. I'm hearing things now that people think the reshoring is probably overblown. 
but I think you'll see people operate in multiple sites rather than just be far away. So we're hoping in all, with our logistics and all to be part of that and have our local companies get more business out of people's supply chain. No, I mean, I, you know, I think at some point, some of this will, people will will lose the lesson that they learned during this and it will, they'll go back to old habits. I think you'll see maybe offices staffed a little differently, but I think people are hungry for community and hungry for connection. And that may seem a little different, but I think that won't go away. People yeah. will stay connected and, and in many cases want to be part of a community. And I think that's, that's exciting. Well, and on the reshoring side, I think what's going to happen, I think a lot of small to mid-sized companies who've been dependent on China to supply them just by contracts, they didn't mm -hmm. physically have a plan over there. I think a lot of them are going to look for American companies to give those contracts to now because they found it risky. So I think that's going to kind of, whether it's plants coming back or not, I think a lot of American companies are going to pick up new contracts. I talked to a company in Nebraska that makes uh, scooters of all things, little electric mm -hmm. scooters. And, mm -hmm. and the guy told me, he said, you know, he's a 20 person shop, but he said, I depended on China for a hundred percent of my supplies. I assembled it here and he was having trouble now getting it because of the whole supply chain disruption. So he was looking for an American company to do, do that. So I think that's going to be the first thing mm -hmm. we see mm -hmm. on that effort. So No, I agree. I mean, we've already had a few anecdotal evidence situations where uh, a small company here, we had a company that's in the fabric textile business that started supplying people with fabric during this time to make masks and all. And probably never would have bumped into each other if it weren't for some of this stuff. But now, you know, it's a growing small company in a great town. And yeah, I think you're going to see lots of those stories and lots of those opportunities for companies to be part of that. Well, Kurt, thank you for being with us today. And thank Absolutely. you for, thank you for joining our movement. Uh, all those videos and all something we talked about for a long time, economic developers ask us over and over. We never had time to do it till COVID. So that was our, that, that's what we spent our time, time doing. I, I think a lot of businesses that they were probably like us, they were shocked right at first. And then they thought, okay, what can we do now that we've been putting off? So that came out of that. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Next Move Group has launched a new initiative designed to both grow the American economy and improve the quality of lives of economic developers. So we're going to grow the American economy multiple ways. We've got all kinds of different ways to really help economic development organizations be more successful, including helping them bring back jobs from overseas in China, reshoring that production to the United States. And we're going to help economic developers improve their quality of life. So you always hear that it's the economic developer's job to improve the quality of life of everybody in their community. Well, whose job is it to improve that economic developer's quality of life? At Next Move Group, we're taking that task on for ourselves. So to learn more about the movement that we're creating, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement, thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. Mm -hmm.